Hello and welcome to our latest RegMedNet podcast as part of our Spotlight on Automation. So as part of this Spotlight, we're looking at the hows and whys of automation, how to get the most use out of it and where it could really impact on your workflow. So today we're talking to Marcus Gasheta from Synthase. He's the Chief Scientific Officer and he co-founded Synthase after working as a research associate in synthetic biology at University College London, where he was working on novel biosynthesis methods using pathway engineering. Marcus, thanks so much for joining me. It's lovely to be here. Fantastic. So for our, for our first question, for our audience who may not be familiar with Synthase, can you introduce yourself uh, and tell us a little bit about Synthase? So I'm Marcus Kishater. I'm the Chief Scientific Officer and one of the original co-founders of Synthase. So we're a company that makes software for flexibly programming lab automation and their corresponding data processing workflows. So that means that our users can rapidly develop and optimize robust automated protocols, which then can then in turn be easily adapted as their needs evolve. Fantastic. So with the, the rise of cell and gene therapy over the last few years, manufacturing has obviously become a, a very important conversation. Why should cell and gene therapy manufacturers embrace automation in their workflow? So I'm actually relatively new to the cell and gene therapy space. I've been going to conferences in the area for about the last three years or so. And sort of as a relative outsider, it's incredibly exciting to see these really transformational um, therapeutics starting to actually work. Um, you know, diseases that are basically, you know, quite horrific death sentences actually being cured um, is pretty powerful stuff. And so, you know, what's clear is that excitement around those kind of cures has led to this really understandable push to the clinic. Right? So everybody's trying to take their potential therapies and push them straight to the clinic as fast as they possibly can and from there into actually rolling out and manufacturing them. This has then led to the bit of an issue that you've effectively got some quite manual um, processes that have come almost directly from sort of academic environments, hospital environments, and they're just going straight into a sort of more industrialized context, into a GMP context. So that means that often people haven't put in the amount of time and effort that it takes to try and make sure that these are truly scalable. And I think this is a problem which is recognized across the industry. So automation can offer a part of the solution to then, you know, really dealing with that scalability issue. You know, I think um, I was trying to work out how many patients might have been treated in this area so far, and uh, I'd I take a rough guess that it might be in the kind of low thousands, even if you're including, you know, the likes of Novartis and Gilead. Um, and that's obviously nowhere near the, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of uh, patients that could ultimately be treated by these therapies and have their uh, lives changed. Um, so the scalability issue is a really big um, problem stroke opportunity that's facing the area. So if you look at a lot of the processes that they are, like they, they are very manual, and there are a number of places where you know automation could be used probably quite pragmatically in the first place to just alleviate that burden a bit and sort of increase the scalability of these therapies. Interesting. So you mentioned there are a, a quite a few places where automation could be um, integrated. I suppose I, I imagine a lot of our audience are familiar with closed systems, which have uh, really come to, to popularity recently. Um, but where else could automation be applied to the cell and gene therapy manufacturing process? 
Right. I mean, that, that's a really interesting question. And again, as an outsider coming into the space, it's quite interesting to kind of see the way people are thinking and, and then look at it more in a kind of holistic way as well. And um, yeah, people are looking a lot at sort of automation of the actual manufacturing process itself, which makes a lot of sense. There are a lot of things that need to be solved there. Um, where we're more involved is actually looking at the automation of all the QC um, and the assays involved around the first the process development and then the manufacturing of these therapies. And there's a huge amount of work that has to be done on, for every therapy that goes out, for, so for every batch that goes out. And obviously in the case of autologous cell therapies, that's for every patient. Um, so we're working with partners in the space, particularly the Cell and Gene Therapy Catapult here in London, to work out exactly how we can automate those kind of QC processes. And not just the physical lab processes, um, you know, of sort of sample preparation and then transfer into those analytical machines, but also then the automation of the data processing from those workflows as well. Um, and this is a point that people often miss because I think data processing tends to be more invisible. You know, when you're looking at a process in the lab or in, in a manufacturing suite, then the physical bits are all very, very evident. You know, and, and these are the things that as biologists we're used to thinking about on a day-to-day -day basis. But there's actually a huge amount of um, data structuring, data provenance, and uh, uh, data processing which needs to uh, be carried out for every manufacturing run that's taking place. And uh, the Catapult has actually done some modeling on what's going to happen if we don't automate the physical running of QC and then the associated data structuring thereafter. And you can see that very, very quickly it gets unsustainable. Um, and, you know, this is, it feels a bit like a sort of oncoming train for the industry in a lot of ways. You know, it has to be resolved one way or another. Otherwise, these uh, really promising therapies just won't scale and, and won't get to the vast majority of the market that needs them. Wow, absolutely. And so I, I suppose, aside from the, the physical automation hardware, um, researchers and developers must need a, a lot of digital tools to get the most of their automated solutions. Right. I mean, the, and, the, and they take you know, various different forms. And this is kind of where Synthase has really um, been focusing, particularly in recent years, is, is what digital tools can we create to really help the um, scientific R&D and all the way into manufacturing in a number of areas, including gene therapy. Um, so where we start is actually with the programming of the hardware in the lab. Um, so typically hardware is from diverse suppliers. It tends to have different software, different data formats for every bit of hardware that you have. Um, it's often very difficult to program particularly kind of liquid handling robots, so talking, you know, automated pipetting robots effectively. Um, and we've, we've had a real focus on that because a lot of the sort of logic of, say, an assay workflow uh, where you're preparing a sample ready for assaying, that's, that's all liquid handling really, is moving liquids about in a precise and uh, uh, defined manner. And so we looked at, you know, what it takes to program those kind of robots, and it's really pretty tough. You know, you have to think about absolutely every aspect of how that robot's going to move in order to make that particular process happen. You know, all the things that when we're doing manually, we've picked up over many years of experience of exactly how to transfer liquids around to get very, very precise and accurate results. Robots are dumb. You know, you, you have to teach them um, exactly how to do all of these things. And so then when you're planning out an experiment and then programming it into a robot, 
huge amount of investment to get to something that actually works as it should. So where we've really focused is on developing software which allows the programming of these robots an awful lot easier, um, particularly when we're trying to do complex experiments. So we use design of experiments a lot for an awful lot of what we do. Um, so high dimensional optimization of processes and protocols. And we found it's really, really useful to apply these methods to an assay optimization, for example, so that you get really good, tight, uh, reproducible um, data coming out of these assays. But actually programming a design of experiments where you've got a very large number of factors all varying in complex patterns across the experiment, programming that kind of experiment into a robot is really tough. Um, and the nature of the experiment is that you rarely use a DOE more than once. So then you have this issue that, you know, you spend all this time planning and then programming a robot and then you throw it all away again before you can then do the next experiment. And so people just don't do it. Um, so there's this really powerful method that we can use for optimizing and making our protocols really robust. And for the most part, it's just pragmatically inaccessible. So, yeah, software tool in that instance can mean that, yeah, we can run these powerful experiments. We can really understand what underlies the, um, what are the important parts of a particular assay and make sure we're optimizing them thoroughly. And then, yeah, there's this other kind of aspect of, you know, when you've got the robust assay and it's running well and through our software, actually you can flexibly kind of alter it over time as well as your needs evolve, which again is quite a difference from sort of traditional liquid handling programming software for the, for the most part. Um, once you've got something up and running, you still have then this issue of all the data that's coming out of it. So for any given process, you'll have a number of different analytical workflows. So typically um, qPCR, flow cytometry, binding type assays like ELISA, all of these are needed in order to characterize what's going on in a cell and gene therapy process. So then there's the issue of, okay, we now have multiple different types of analytics all producing very different data from each other, but all that then have relevance to the same process. So how do we then take those uh, disparate data sources process them in a really robust way which really understands the nature of the assay and also the biology that we're trying to measure aspects of and then bring these data together in a meaningful way so that you can actually then make a decision off the back of it. So obviously in the case of QC for manufacturing then that's you know release testing effectively. So you know the faster we can bring together all these data the better process knowledge we have through the measurement of things as we go through, then the more rapidly we should be able to release therapies in future. So it sounds like automation could really enable new ways of actually conducting the science um, and actually open up completely new approaches that we haven't seen yet. Right. I mean, I'm, this is something I'm really passionate about. So we have these methods that a lot of us know are really powerful for addressing the complexities of biology, you know, which is really important in this area where the modalities are just so complex inherently. Um, you know, methods like multifactorial experimentation, so design of experiments, DOE. A lot of people, you go out there talking to people at conferences, they know that these methods are powerful, they know that they could help address these complexities, um, but the barriers to actually using them are really high. So 
really excites me. I mean, I I personally just regard the automation, the software as tools, um, you know, exciting and powerful tools, but fundamentally it's all about getting those data sets which give us that insight into the biology um, and allow us to understand it better and um, work with it uh, much better and more scalably in future. Okay, so let's think about some some sort of specific applications. So how could automation be used, say, in viral vector manufacturing um, versus an autologous cell therapy company? Are there common learnings between the two? I think, so I'm a bit of a pragmatist. I, I'm not going to say that automation should be rolled out everywhere immediately. You know, there, there will always be places where it's um, kind of more valuable to do so in the first instance. And then over time, we can kind of uh, slowly make things ever more automated where it makes sense to do so. I mean, the, the, the two examples that you have there are really quite different. So in terms of, uh, you know, viral vector manufacturing, well, that's actually more like a traditional kind of batch process for the most part. So, you know, you're working with quite large reactors um, and you can um, then work in a way that actually, you know, process development has worked in kind of the biologic space for uh, a good few decades. And, you know, where automation can help there is in generating really good comprehensive uh, structured data sets which give us an insight into that process for ongoing improvement to those manufacturing processes and process development, if you like, is, is, is particularly powerful in that instance. And automation around manufacturing is maybe a little less important because actually once you've got everything locked down, you're going to be making these big batches and the QC on those batches isn't going to be in a, a huge burden. But then, you know, we look at sort of the other end of the scale of autologous uh, cell therapies. And here, you know, obviously every batch um, is different and you have a batch per patient. So all of a sudden now you just, the throughput on the batches is the priority. So like we've already discussed, people are focused on how can we close those systems? How can we make the manufacturing process automated? Um, but then that's where the automated QC really becomes uh, a, a really important and critical thing as well, um, in contrast to what you might see in a more batch type process. So that's similarly with uh, allogeneic um, processes as well, depending on what kind of the batch size is, uh, how big those can be then the, the importance of automated QC will be either greater or lesser depending on uh, how many batches you actually have to go through. But we've clearly seen that for autologous cell therapies, automated QC seems to be a complete imperative. Interesting. Okay. So uh, a big question coming up, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this, is do humans have a place in the cell and gene therapy manufacturing workflow? <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, I'm a pra pragmatist. Um, I think that yes, they certainly do at the moment. There's a huge amount of expertise that humans have and we're very much just taking these processes and relying on that expertise to manufacture these products at the moment. As we go increasingly into the future, then so long as we can develop automated systems that are sophisticated enough to deal with the problems that are facing the area, then there are a lot of benefits to moving to an automated system. Um, you know, at the moment, it's, it's, it's simply unscalable. There, you won't have enough skilled people to actually carry out all of these manufacturing processes in the future. So it's not so much whether humans have a place or not. 
like of uh, uh, computers and uh, automated systems um, are absolutely ideal. But wherever you need that deeper understanding of, bio of the biological system that's involved and you know, being able to put that process into context um, the, the, that it's in, then yeah, clearly human beings should be there and, and human beings should always be there to be checking off on what the automated systems are doing, making sure that we can actually rely on them to be continually doing the things that we program them to do. And then in future, you know, people talk a lot about artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I think there's a lot of scope there as well for them. Yeah, these kind of sort of completely unbiased systems, if you like, coming in and looking at data sets and, and maybe, you know, suggesting things um, to the biologists about, okay, could this be something that's affecting your process? Could this be something which could be improved on? You know, there's a pattern here, a correlation. Does this make sense? Uh, but again, you'll notice the way I'm talking, I'm not saying that then ML and AI should make decisions. I'm saying that ML and AI should help to give further insights to the experts in order then to um, try and understand the systems uh, more holistically. Um, and I, I, I think this is important because the only way that ML and AI could actually supersede that need is if somehow you could program in all of the expertise and context and sort of tacit knowledge that a human being has. And my own belief is that actually we're a fair way away from that. And you know, you could maybe see this distant future um, of kind of ML, AI driven um, process development and manufacturing uh, within the sort of, well, across biological space really. Um, but I, I think for the moment we need to be looking at you know, where humans are strongest, where the automation and computers are strongest, and then adapt as these technologies uh, change and not be absolutist in any one way and not try and prejudge it too much. Fantastic, thank you. So you touched on it uh, briefly a little bit there with AI, um, but for my final question, I'd like you to, to get out your crystal ball um, and tell me what you think the future of automation is uh, in cell and gene therapy manufacturing. Well, I mean, there, there is a certain extent which you can actually predict the future here. I would say almost unequivocally that if autologous cell therapies turn out to be one of the main modalities that we move forward with in this field, then automation will be essential. You know, there, there's actually, I don't think that's in debate. What is more in debate is the kind of things that I was talking about before is exactly where automation should be involved um, and what extent it should be involved how much we should trust automated systems versus having uh, humans there to validate, to make sure that things are correct, to make judgment calls and to um, move things forward. I mean, for it to be really scalable processes for us to be treating millions of patients with these kind of modalities, then clearly the methods of manufacture are going to have to be dramatically different from the way that we're doing things at the moment. Um, talking about closed systems, talking about being able to use, uh, you know, single suites to make, um, you know, hundreds or thousands of therapies as opposed to one at a time. Um, you know, that, that's absolutely essential. And then, yeah, automated uh, QC and data analytics will play an exceptionally important role in there as well. And then as we're producing all of these structured data um, from, you know, thousands upon thousands, millions of uh, um, runs effectively then you know that's a huge amount 
fantastic, Marcus. Thank you very much. Thank you. So unfortunately, that's all the time we have left with Marcus. But if you'd like to learn more about automation in cell and gene therapy manufacturing, regenerative medicine and more, make sure you check out our spotlight on regbednet.com. Plus, join the conversation today on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. I'll see you there. Thank you.